Hi, and welcome to the Overflow Podcast. I'm Chuck Ammons, lead pastor of Overflow Church in Brandon, Florida, and we are here to help you receive the Father's love and to release it to everyone you encounter everywhere. Wherever you're listening from today, your God adores you. I pray this message elevates and ignites your faith. On this podcast, you will find biblical messages to activate your faith so you experience the goodness of God and the greatness of your unique voice in His kingdom. To find out more about Overflow Church, visit us at overflowchurch.com or on Facebook at Overflow Church Brandon. We'd also love to encourage you to check out our book, Life in the Overflow, and its accompanying devotional on amazon.com. All right, never a dull moment around here. Well, I am thrilled for us to dive into the start of a brand new message series today called The Lord is Our Shepherd and the start of our 21-day fast. It's today. We're starting this morning. You're not nearly excited. I know the Lord says, like, you know, don't show it on your face. You don't have to be somber about your fast. We're starting a 21-day fast today. All right. Well, one of the most beloved portions of Scripture that has brought comfort and strength to many people is the 23rd Psalm. And it, it starts with these words. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, many of us have said these words before, but I want to ask the question, do we have any idea the power of those five words? The Lord is my shepherd. So first, you take this word, Lord, The word Lord is actually where we get our name Yahweh or Jehovah. Fun fact for you, it's actually the same word, just depending on how you pronounce the V or the W. It's Yahavah or Yahawah, right? So Yahweh and Jehovah is the word Lord. But did you know that the Lord means the ever-existing one? Every time you call out on the name of the Lord, you are actually saying the God who was and is and is to come. Every time you call on the name of the Lord, you're saying the one who will never leave me and could never forsake me. The every moment I am who is fully here right now. The Lord. And it continues and says, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, we don't actually walk with a whole lot of an agricultural society, so we lose the meaning of that. But the word shepherd, it had three meanings. The first one was the lover of the flock, the one who tends and feeds and leads and protects defenseless sheep under his care. The second meaning of the Lord as our shepherd is the one who pastures with the flock, staying near them as they graze. But did you know that the third meaning of the word shepherd, ra'ah, is actually best friend. The Lord is my best friend. So I want you to understand something. When you speak these five words, the Lord is my shepherd, this is what you're saying. Ever present God who is with me and could never forsake me. I believe right now that you love me. You tend to my needs. You feed me. You lead me. You protect me. And you're my best friend who has nowhere else you would rather be than in the field that I find myself in in this moment. And did you know that that's not just who he longs to be for you, but he came as the Lamb of God so the whole world could know the Lord as shepherd like this. See, over these next five weeks, what I want to do is is this framing of these words, the Lord is my shepherd. Actually, Psalm 23 will go on and share 
five ways that God walks as our shepherd. And I have two goals for us in the weeks ahead. Goal number one for us. I want us to come and to receive deeply. Here's the prayer that I have before the Lord. That you and I would come with a different capacity, that we'd hear some of the same facts that we've heard before. I pray you'll hear some things you haven't heard before, but what I'm asking for is an increased spiritual capacity to actually believe the words of the Lord in a new way so that it changes something about where we stand. Does that sound good to anybody? Goal number one for us is that we would receive and tangibly believe him in new ways. But goal number two is that we would actually release the Lord, our shepherd. That we would position our lives in courageous and contagious joy and passion to bring wandering sheep back home. So where do we start? This first week and this first thought is this. Psalm 23, 1 says, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Now, I'm a word nerd, so because of that, the word lack matters a whole lot to me because I believe the Bible actually is the word of God. I don't believe we need to sanitize it or tame it. I do think we need to understand it because, listen, the word of God is inspired. Your interpretation of it certainly is not. So we come with lots of problems because we think we know what the Bible says. So anytime I see a word that says, the Lord's my shepherd and therefore this is true, I shall not lack I kind of want to know what the word lack means. And this is what it means in Hebrew. To lack means to be without, to experience a need, to fail, to be inferior, to be worthless, or to be devoid of anything. This was so difficult for the translators of Psalm 23 that we actually have many different versions because when you translate a word into a, a different language, you find that it's entirely true, but a lot of times there could be a lot of different words that you could actually have to use to get the one meaning across. And so many different translations have taken Psalm 23 and they've tried to translate it these ways. The Lord is my shepherd to feed me, to guide me, to shield me, I shall not want. It's the Amplified Translation. And there was an Amplified little baby right there that was precious. <laughs> I just want to say this as a side note right now. Sometimes people are like, people are making noise in the church. Is that a problem? Goodness gracious, we need more noise in the church. I'm tired of silence in the pews. All right? Might be that baby's being more obedient than anybody this morning. <laughs> Psalm 23.1, the Lord is my shepherd. To feed me, to guide me, to shield me, I shall not want. Holman Christian Standard said it this way, the Lord is my shepherd, there's nothing I lack. The New Living Translation says, the Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need. The Passion Translation says, Yahweh is my best friend and my shepherd, I always have more than enough. i got to pause for just a minute. Um, there, there's been some pushback on the Passion Translation from some in our culture, from people that actually don't really know much about what's going on. Brian Simmons is a dear friend of mine, the lead translator. And I want to tell you, this man that stepped into the Aramaic, there are people that come on the face, they go, look, he added all those words. It doesn't say Yahweh is my best friend and shepherd. Uh, can I just rewind us four minutes to the beginning of the message where I said the word Lord is the word Yahweh, and the word shepherd means best friend. Actually, what's happened is that translation is a beautiful art, and when you go from one language to another, you can't find one word that will always quantify what's trying to be said. So, so what you find in this picture, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I'll say it another way. I'll say what they're all trying to say is this. The Lord is our 
sufficiency. The Lord is our sufficiency. And this is where I want to talk for a few minutes today. I want to talk about what can happen when a satisfaction makes its home in us, when we see who we are and we see that we presently have enough in him. See, on the face of it, this statement is insane. Because God is my shepherd, I always have everything I need. Because God is my shepherd, there's nothing I'm ever lacking. Because God is my shepherd, right now I have more than enough. And I want to say, really? Really? Because if I'm being honest, I've not lived most days of my life as if that is true. Because God is my shepherd, I have all I need. In fact, I would say this as I've looked around. I've seen that for many of us, our well-being goes up and down like the tide. And it's based almost solely on what we feel we presently have or what we feel we presently lack. I'll say more than that. Most of our experiences go up and down on how we feel we're doing in securing and protecting our treasures. See, subconsciously, I think what happens is this. We can develop systems of Christianity that say this without saying it. You know, if you just follow the rules, if you'll be good and, and be a good person, if you'll follow God, then God will give you all the things you feel like you lack. If you follow the rules, you pray hard enough, you're a moral person, then God will give you the job. God will give you the financial provision. God will give you the health. God will give you the spouse. God will give you the house. God will give you the friends. And quietly we believe that when we have that treasure, we'll finally be happy and able to rest, and we never get there. We either exhaust ourselves in the pursuit of blessings, all the while resenting God for not moving nearly quickly enough with our passionate and holy agenda. Or we get the treasure and the thing we've asked for, only to see the next thing that we lack. And suddenly, along with that, now it's joined with the crippling fear of losing what we've worked so hard to acquire. I'll say it this way. Sadly, many brands of Christianity fall prey to the trap of treasure assurance or treasure insurance instead of seeing Jesus as the treasure. There's a better way. Listen to me. Many brands of Christianity fall to the trap of treasure assurance. What is that? I'm going to follow you, Jesus, but here's what I want. I want confidence that you'll give me fill in the blank. Jesus, I'm going to follow you, but here's the things I really feel I need. And once I have Jesus and all these things, then I'll be enough. So I'm going to follow you, but I want assurance that you'll give me fill in the blank. Or treasure insurance. God, I'm following you, but there's these things that are, that are my preconditions that are precious in my life. This is where my family is, and this is where my finances are, and this is my job, and this is where I live, and, and this is what I have. These are my treasures, and I'm going to follow you, but I believe because I'm following you that you're going to protect all of my treasures on my terms, treasure insurance. And in all of it, what we miss is seeing the fact that Jesus himself is the treasure. See, Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 13. He says, the kingdom of heaven 
is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all he had, and he bought that field. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure in a field that a man found and hid and went in all of his joy and sold everything he had so he could buy the field. Now, I want to tell you, in even a verse this short, there's a progression of ways to see what's going on that would help us a lot. The first one is this. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus has been talking through a series of parables. And right before he says this, he just gave a story where he talked about how the field is this world, this place. And so I want to tell you the first progression of how you have to see this is not the way we've read it. Because actually the very first thing Jesus is saying is that Jesus is the man who found a treasure in a field. It's you and me. Jesus came to this world and found a treasure in the field. It was you and me. And so what did he do? He sold all he had. He emptied himself. And for the joy set before him that was what? Me and you. He endured the cross, scorning its shame. What's the first thing Matthew 13 is saying? It's Jesus crying out to you, I want you to know you're my treasure. You were the treasure that I emptied out everything for. But it goes deeper. Because you see, this is what happens when we actually come to believe that. When we actually come to believe, not that God just loves you, but God actually likes you. When you come to believe that how great is the love that God has lavished on you, that you're called his child forevermore, that he's given you a spirit of adoption, and you're crying out to know your father, and he satisfies it in himself, and he delights in you, and that before you woke up this morning, he had already thought more thoughts about you than individual grains of sand on every seashore that ever existed, and every last one of them is precious. When you actually start to believe that he treasures you, you experience a joy that nothing else in this world can rival. You are known and loved by your father. And I got to tell you, every person that I know that has ever had a residing awareness in this room, a residing awareness of that revelation, what do you do? You sell it all. Like the disciples, you leave your nets, you forsake your rights of every lesser trinket, and you, along with Jesus, buy the field, and Jesus becomes your treasure. But there's a third progression. See, the first progression is that the field is this world and that Jesus is the man that sold it all because you're his treasure. The second is that when you understand how deeply he treasures you, you treasure him back and you sell everything to follow him. But the third is this, as you begin to follow Jesus, you grow to agree with him. Looking up from your own problems onto the field with your shepherd and seeing people everywhere that he treasures and you willingly and joyously spend your life to sell everything to join your shepherd on the field in bringing wandering sheep back home. Isaiah 58 says it this way. It says, if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. Again, in 1 John, it says it this way. It says that we love because 
he first loved us. Anybody want to live in the reality of the progression I just talked about? Anybody want to live blissfully aware every day that Jesus treasures and delights in you? And in that place to be so alive, there's nothing to wrestle for. There's just a truth to rest in that I am my beloved's and he is mine. And so willingly I sell it all. And as I begin to walk, suddenly I find that I can't help myself but fall in love with some of, of, of the left and the right. And everybody that I see is a target for the love of God. And so I'm going to spin myself. And it's no longer about treasure assurance or treasure insurance. It's about Jesus, my treasure, being received and released on the world. That's good news, right? And so the question we have to ask is this, the million-dollar question. How do we live there? How do we live there? And i got to tell you, if there's a first step, it's this. We've got to change the way we see and believe in the days we're in. I'll start right here, and all these questions were important enough, I'm going to put them on the screen. Question one I started to ask was this, what if it's actually true? What if it's actually true? What if when the Lord becomes our shepherd, we actually have everything we will ever need? What if right now this whole idea that you have of, of lack is just a perception in your mind? And so it took me to a second question, it's this, you ready? What if you're already completely loved and accepted by the one who knows your heart better than you because he formed it? See, 1 John says this. It says that we have a heart that often tries to condemn us, but when your heart tries to condemn you, God is greater than your heart, and he knows everything. Why? Because he formed it. So i got to ask somebody, somebody who will get excited is that baby. What if you're already completely loved and accepted right where you are while your performance is all over the map by the one who knows your heart better than you because he formed it? What if it's true? I'll ask this. What if forgiveness was already offered before you even fell? And what if what you actually need is to just stop wrestling and finally rest and receive it? What if from the foundations of the world before you were ever created, the lamb was already slain outside the space of space and time? And he was already enough for everything you needed. What if it's actually true that as in Adam all die and Christ all shall be made alive? What if forgiveness is ours for the taking? And you just need to stop like the prodigal son running and turn around and you'll see your father's toes on the property line with his arms wide open. I'll go further. What if in Christ you are already holy and you have actually been given everything you need for life and godliness? I'll tell you one of the things I hear a whole lot is I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And I want to tell you that is heretical and that is an insult to the cross. Because let me tell you what happens. You don't hear over and over and over again. You can find one or two references in all of Scripture where in the New Testament somebody calls themselves a sinner. One is a self-identification. One is talking about where you've come. But did you know that 66 times in the New Testament you're not called a sinner, you're called a saint. Do you know what the word saint means? It means a most holy place of God's residence. Anybody remember the Old Testament? 
You remember the Old Testament? There was the holy place, and then there was a veil, and then there was the what? The most holy place that the very presence of God resided. And 66 times the New Testament cries out, your most holy place, your most holy place, your most holy place, your most holy place. You've already been made holy. And so then I'll ask, what if God is already pleased in you? And he isn't mad, and he isn't disappointed. I don't know about you, but I try to be a father that loves my children. There is a thing that can be grieving the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you something about a father that wants relationship with his children? When my children do something to grieve me, I don't hide. I'm very direct and I run right away so they'll know what it is so that we can deal with it so that we can get right back to love. I watch all these Christians walk with this phantom feeling of, I just think there's something I might have done and I'm not running enough and I'm not pleasing the Lord. And I want to tell you that's from the fruit of the accuser, not Jesus, your advocate. Your father loves you. He's pleased in you. If while you were his enemy, he died for you, how much more? Somebody say much more. How much more will we be saved? That means delivered, set free, put on a path of peace and provision completely through the cross. So while we're at it, this is what I've got to ask. What if joy unspeakable, life to the fullest, peace that surpasses understanding, hope that overflows, incomparably great power, love that surpasses knowledge, and more than your capacity to ask or imagine is actually your inheritance made certain by the finished work of Christ and not your performance today. I want you to see these words and you say, why did you list them all? Because I believe that scripture is true and I believe it changes our life. And these things that we run after, What are people running after? You ready? Joy, life, peace, hope, love, power. Did you know every last one of those, the Bible has an adjective it puts next to it. And the adjective is more than your capacity to hold. It's the reason we're called Overflow Church. Because everything God gives you, he gives to the overflow. Why? So that you would walk through the progression of receiving to releasing. Because it's so ridiculous how great his abundance is, you can't possibly hold on to it. And what if? Somebody say, what if? What if all of that isn't based on you and what you do today, but him and what he did 2,000 years ago? Four people believe me in the room. And let me say to everybody else, most days I'm right there with you, but I'm convinced if we're going to live this out, we've got to change our perspective of what is real. So the final question is this, what if it actually is finished. And you are actually free to simply abide in him. And from that intimately secure place of his love, you will bear fruit as you don't give up. See, somebody needs to hear it today. The God who made you is ever present. He could not leave you. And he will not forsake you. And today, if you find yourself making your bed in hell, Psalm 139 says he's right there with you. Somebody needs to hear it today. The Lord is your shepherd. He's the lover of your soul who delights in you. 
There is no place that he would rather be today than in the very fields you are grazing, and he's not in a hurry. And whether you know it or not, he is the best friend you will ever know. Somebody needs to hear it today. In him, and not in your circumstances, or your performance, or your position, or your possessions. In him, you have all you need. Can I just submit to you that God knows well the unique way that he made you to reflect him in the world, and my God doesn't have a resource or a timing problem. Let me say that again for somebody in the back. The God who made you knows well the unique way he desires to flow to and through your life. And my God does not have a timing problem, and he does not have a resource problem. So the question is, what if the stuff that we're resenting and running from is the very refiner's fire he brought us to to form his image in us? Let me go a little further. What if today what you actually need isn't a change in provision nearly as much as a change in perspective? See, this is what I believe Psalm 23 is trying to tell us. The more we actually believe that he already has us and already has provided all we need and will release it in his time and in his way as a loving shepherd because he's actually on the field with us. We are never alone. The more we believe that, the less we will lose our lives chasing or hoarding lesser treasures. The more we believe his love, the less we will walk under fear and stress. We could say goodbye to treasure assurance and treasure insurance. Grumbling will be replaced with gratitude. Now this one is something I'm so passionate about because you're going to hear the message and some right now are going to walk out today going, yeah! And the problem is tomorrow morning comes and people can be stupid and life can be heavy. And so we get here today, and we're like, yeah, and we get to tomorrow, and we're like, yeah. We get to Tuesday, and we've even forgotten what the conversation is. I'm so passionate about us being able to live in a place of contagious and courageous joy. Tomorrow morning, on my blog, it'll be on our website, on social media, I've got a blog that's all about how you actually position yourself through the week to live in contagious and courageous joy. For this morning, what I want to tell you is it starts with a shift in our perspective. It starts in what we receive. But if you remember, I said that what we were looking for this morning is not just what we would receive, but what we would release. And I want to tell you this, the more you know the Lord is my shepherd and I already have everything I need, the more you will find yourself looking up on your field because you're no longer obsessed with securing your own treasure. You know he's got you. And the more you will start seeing wandering sheep all around you. And in the midst of broken circumstances and an incomplete performance, you will find yourself joining the shepherd on the field to passionately bring wandering sheep back home. I want to close this morning with just two stories of what that could actually look like that are being lived out right in our Overflow family. One, you saw him up here just a few minutes ago, my buddy Shane Suarez, who has started Rock and Customs. Now, Shane and I have walked together a long time. Uh, back when I was a youth pastor, Shane was the youth worship leader with are you to watch years before uh, Rock and Customs? I want to tell you, I so believe in Rock and Customs. I serve on the board with Shane, so well represented. Uh, the board approves. Um, I want to say I was with Shane, though, when I saw this dream start to come to a reality. And this is what happened. Shane would lead in worship, and Shane was so passionate with people encountering God. And so 
Because Shane was a creative, God would bring creatives around him. And so people 13, 14, 15, and many of them coming from circumstances that they didn't have any of the means, and they didn't believe in themselves, but Shane could see something in them. Shane could see Christ in them, the hope of glory, and he would start yearning and praying, and he'd share with me, somebody's got to find a way to provide for them, because, man, this one needs a guitar, and, and that one needs something. And so Shane Though he was working a job where he was barely making ends meet, and it was a job that was hard work that he traveled a long time to get to, instead of grumbling, Shane changed his perspective. And Shane started giving away everything that he had. In fact, I want to tell you I know because I was one of the earliest recipients. Started writing music, and I talked about this band that I was going to be in called Valley's End and how I playing on piano for years, but I just shared to Shane in passing that I felt the need because every once in a while when I'd be at church, I'd pick around on the guitar and I said, I want to write some songs on the guitar and next thing I know, there's a guitar waiting for me that to this day is in my home office. It's been used to write a number of the songs that Valley's End has recorded and released and it was Shane's guitar. Shane took it and he said, this is the deal. And I asked him and I tried to argue with him. He said, my father will provide what I need when I need it. You need a guitar. And then I watched him go again and give away a bass, an electric guitar, and an amp, and never complaining, never showing up to people. So I want you to know, the one thing I'll say is Shane, well represented, and also world's largest undersell, because where you go, you actually don't ever point to yourself. But I want to tell you now, all these years later, Shane is in a very similar circumstance as where he was before. Married now to the love of his life, beautiful son, and they're raising a beautiful family, but he still works a job where he works as hard as he can. It's not a job that he would want to be the forever thing that he's doing where he drives a distance just to make ends meet and Shane is still giving away everything, literally, on the board. I've had to write in a provision on the board that Shane has to talk to us before giving his stuff away. I'm not kidding. <laughs> I'm not even joking. Because Shane so believes that the Father is going to come by. And so I want to tell you something that happened. It was just... Uh, a, a little bit over a week ago, I'd gone away. My uh, grandmother had passed. I had gone and done a uh, memorial service for her and come home. And I got back here to a prayer burn. And Pastor Chris told me, hey, Shane said that there was something in uh, your office for you. If you could just go down there and check. I think it's a book or something. So I'm completely uh, emotionally not prepared for what's about to happen. And I walk into my office. And there as I walk into my office, I see a keyboard from one of my dear friends who a few years ago God took home to be with him, Jeff Tubaugh. Uh, who was a part of our worship team, was a part of Valley's End with us, and he had several keyboards. And Shane, because he so loved the Tubal family, as a dear friend, came alongside uh, Jeff's widow, Sean, and said, I want to help you find a legacy for all these things. I don't want you to carry the burden alone. He's been walking with her. And so Shane had actually gone to some number of my friends and reached out and said, I believe Pastor Chuck needs to continue writing songs on what his brother started. And he doesn't have the means to be able to do so, but I think that we need to bless him. See, that's the heart of somebody who says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. So I want to tell you if the Lord is moving on your heart, because right now that's the beautiful side of it. But right now, literally, Shane has dreams where his heart is in anguish all the time because he sees there's a great need and he's looking for people that would have the provision to step out and join him. And that, my friend, I honor you. You're living out Psalm 23. The second story and the last story I want to share with you this morning is from a dear sister. And I want to ask her to come up on the platform. Would you please give it up for Miss Myla Aruda? I'm just looking for a microphone, Myla. Hang on. <laughs> Pastor Chris has it. Thanks. 
All right, Myla, good to see you. So come on up. So Myla was going this past um, week. It was one of the cold days like today, super cold day. And you and your dad were out. And really, you said that it was a few of you out. And the whole day, God had been stopping what you were doing and bringing to mind homeless people that were here in our city. And you found that like you, you, you stopped. And it was like you kept wanting to find ways to provide for them. And so a few things happened throughout the day. And then a little bit later in the day, you and your dad found yourself with this one homeless man in particular. Can you tell us a little bit of the story of what happened? Is it that guy? Any of it. Okay, so um, my, or I was going to dance that day, and my dad, he had like been out at work, and he had seen this homeless man at a gas station, and so he got all the stuff together, like food, water, like clothes, like whatever. And then we, we like went, and we're, we were trying to look for this guy, and we couldn't find him. So I went to dance, and then Ella was like practicing driving. And so she. Um, you shouldn't laugh when she says this. She does a good job. <laughs> yeah, she does really a good job. Good. And then um, she. So then they found like another guy to give that to. And then they found, after they gave that to him, they found this other guy who was pushing like a grocery cart and had a, like a little small tent. And um, that was like what we, he was sleeping in that night. It was like just in a, like a Wendy's parking lot. And then, um, so my dad went home, got him a blanket, and he came back and picked me up. And uh, we went, oh yeah. And so then we, <laughs> and so we like went and we looked for that guy. And so we're like driving around this parking lot and he wasn't there. And then literally like 10 feet away, we see this other guy who was also homeless. And so, he looked like really, really cold, like it was freezing. He was just sitting in the Walmart parking lot and all he had was a bike. And so we brought him the blanket and my dad asked him where he was sleeping that night and he said that he was too embarrassed to tell us, which is like really sad because like that's already embarrassing to be in a Walmart parking lot and he was too embarrassed to tell us his shelter. So um, we asked him what he wanted and he said he wanted a Davis burger, which he <laughs> did not know what that was. So <laughs> we went to Wendy's and we were talking about what a Davis burger was. And then um, my dad was talking about how like when we care for the less fortunate, we're actually caring for Jesus. And mm. so he was like, and that was really ministering to him that day and like our whole family. Because, like, I would give, every, if, that, if that was Jesus sitting there, I would give him, like, everything. I would, like, jump out of the car. I'd be like, get in. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but, so we got him, the, we brought the guy back, like, a Dave's Burger, and he was super thankful. And then, like, I, we just, he said all he had was his clothes and a blanket to keep him warm that night. And I had this jacket, and I, I, like, had money from Christmas. And so I used the money I got to buy this jacket, and I had it, like, four days or something. And I really liked it, but um, I just felt like the Lord called me to give it to him because it was like really warm and it was something that I liked and I like really was important to me, but I had a bed to sleep in that night and I had like a warm shower and I wasn't gonna be cold. And like, I just, I didn't want him to get sick when he like, what if he was like so cold he got sick? Like that, that's horrible. And so um, I gave him my jacket. And what was interesting about it was the, the jacket, when I was, I was trying to figure out what size I wanted because I got it off of Amazon. <laughs> and um, I got a size, I got, uh, I don't remember what size I got. And it was like a little too big on me. And so it fit him perfectly. And like that was also like kind of like a sign from God like that I was supposed to give it to him. And 
so yeah, he was super thankful. And then he asked for 75 cents. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so we were like looking at the bottom of my dad's car for 75 cents. But, but like those 75 cents, like we didn't have it, like we had it like loose change on the floor, but to him that's what he needed and that's what mattered to him. And so when we gave that to him, it blessed him in a way that it like didn't like matter really to yeah. us. So. And, and I love the picture because there's a few things that you said. One was that your family had been, like the Holy Spirit had been drawing you in all day of seeing people in need. So you had literally looked up from where you were and you're looking around the field of our city and starting to get the Father's heart for these people. And so there's multiple people that you blessed. And then you get to this time where there's this man, you've blessed him, you've given him a burger, you're going away, nobody's asked for anything, but the Holy Spirit is burning within you that this jacket, and now Mila, you told me it wasn't just a jacket you liked. This is a jacket you loved because you even shared with me, and I, and I so appreciate it, I think it would be helpful here, that you said, you know, when I think about the jacket still, I, I, get, I get sad, but then what I've decided to do is take the moment that I feel sad, and I'm going to turn and pray for that man so grateful that now he's warm and that he's moving in the place. So literally, you're seeing a picture of a treasure being given up freely because Jesus is the treasure. And I think it's so amazing, right? So Myla came home from there. She tried to make a beeline and not even tell her mom to like just play it cool because you know, like when you're, don't, don't let your right hand know what your left hand's given. She's like, no big deal. And her mom stopped her. And then it was like, you really realized the magnitude of this moment. This was kind of one of these moments that really marked you deeply that, um, that you had given in this way. And Myla, what I loved about, the reason I wanted to, to bring you up here is this is a picture of, of what it looks like, right? But you need to see one more thing. And the one more thing is this. When you choose to live in such a way to say, the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need, and you pour out what you have, then your Father who sees you and your Father who knows you knows not only what you need but what you delight in, and he's always right there waiting. And so, Myla, waiting in the wings is your father with your mom with something they want to present to you. Thank you, Myla. <laughs> that is the picture of the gospel. That's the picture of what happens when we understand that the Lord, the ever-present God, is our shepherd the lover of our soul, our best friend, grazing in the field with us, and that right now we have more than enough. When you and I actually begin to believe it, not only are we filled with unspeakable joy, but it's so much we can't possibly hold it to ourselves, and we will find ourselves running to give his love away so that every lost sheep could be home. Would you stand with me? I'm going to ask, just as you stand, for every person, if you close your eyes and just lay your hand on your heart, I want to go and just make this time personal. I told you there were two goals that we had coming out today that we would receive deeply from the Lord and that we would release deeply to the Lord. And so right now, with your eyes closed, with your hand on your heart, I'm going to invite our prayer ministers to the front. I want to ask you this question. Where is it time to receive? 
hearing my voice, where is it time to receive in a new way that God actually adores you? That your God delights in you? That he sees you? That he knows you? That he forgives you? That he doesn't blame you? That he longs to be with you? That he's present in the space that you're in? Perhaps you're hearing my voice this morning in the way that you've known God is a contractual type of relationship. I do these things that are the good things and then I expect it to come through. Maybe you're even resenting or fearful. Can I ask the question, what are the treasures that you're gripping to so tightly? What are the things you look right now and say, I got to have these things to be happy? in order to be fulfilled, in order to be enough? What are the terms and conditions that you're holding God in contempt over? Are there lesser treasures that you find yourself continually running to secure or continually striving to protect? Let me ask it a different way. What is stealing your joy? I'm going to ask with your hand on your heart, if God brings something to mind... Would you even now begin, you and him, to tell him, these are the treasures I've been clinging to and I don't want to anymore. These are the things I've been holding on to and I don't want to anymore. For somebody hearing my voice, you need a revelation of the Father's love. Maybe you've never known God like that. Or maybe you've been a believer all of your life, but you recognize that right now you're walking back into a contractual type of place. Would you come to him right now and, Father, give me a revelation of your love. Father, would you show me that you love me? Father, would you show me that you love me? Father, would you show me that you love me? I want you to be my treasure. God, I want to know you like that. Somebody, it's time to sell it all and buy the field. I'm going to ask right now, if you're at a place where you say, I've been living some form of cultural Christianity, or maybe you say, I, I haven't even known the Lord walking into this place, but I know that I know that I, that I want to know the Lord as my best friend. I want to surrender everything and follow him. I'm just going to ask if that's you. As you saw Mickey up here earlier with, with a white flag, the international level of surrender is just lifting both hands over your head. And I'm just going to ask with every other eye closed, if you're at a place right now where the Lord is telling you this morning is this morning for surrender, would you just lift both hands over your head? And Father, I come to surrender. 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 Take my treasures. Take the trinkets that I've run after as if they're treasures. Father, I receive the forgiveness that you offer. I believe that you made my heart and you know me better. I receive your love. I receive your grace. I don't understand it. I don't feel worthy of it. But would you come and baptize me in your love? Where is it time 
to receive the satisfaction of knowing Jesus. Father, I pray that you would just release joy overflowing, peace that surpasses understanding, love beyond measure. More than that, I pray you would unlock our minds to understand that you've already released it. It's already ours. Would you open our eyes? We silence the voice of the accuser. God, we come to receive you in the fullness of joy. The second question I want to ask with your hand on your heart is this. Where is God saying that it is time not to wait on your circumstances, not to wait on something else, but it's time to look up, child? Because there are many on the field around you that desperately need the Father's love. Where is it time to release the overwhelming satisfaction of joy found in him? I ask the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart right now with this question. What is it that you have or that you hold that other people need? Is it like Shane, a, a passion and a gift and a resource? Is it like Mila, your time and your presence and a treasure that's in your hands? Right now as you stand, I'm asking the Lord to reveal to you who it is this week that needs you to look up and share the Father's love. Now listen, some of those people you're not going to know, so would you just tell them right now with your hand on your heart, here I am, Lord. Here I am. Send me. Here I am. But some are going to be a neighbor that you need to step out and talk to. A co-worker that you need to invite to church or invite to your missional community somebody you bake cookies for, somebody you go and, and give a hug. But wherever it is, would you come right now? Say, Lord, I want you to fully take over. I'm going to ask in your own words, with your hand on your heart, would you just pray this? And then we're going to end this service in a special way, sharing in communion together to begin our fast. With your hand on your heart, would you pray? Jesus, I choose to look up. I ask you to open my eyes to see the sheep on my field who need the transforming presence of your love. Jesus, help me believe and see that you are my shepherd and I will never lack.